Ink Studs, and my guest this week is Kate LaCour. Uh, her latest thing is uh, featured on the study group website The Disciple, as well as past comics that include uh, Milk Teeth, which I think came out was that 2008? 2006? I can't Something remember. like that. I think 2006. Oh. It's pretty old. Yeah. Uh, Zero Is. I have a stack of mini comics here. Vivisectionary and I Sees I. Um, 
a bunch of really beautifully drawn, mildly disturbing, at times, uh, fantastical work. Uh, thanks for joining me today, Kate. Thank you for having me. I'm, I, I realized, like, I'd, I hope that didn't sound disparaging, like, this work's mildly disturbing. How are you? <laughs> no, not at all. Um, I guess I kind of want to get to the the meat of the work, um, which I'm not meaning to be a pun with some of the context of the work, uh, hmm. but I want to kind of know more about your background and kind of getting uh, to the work you're doing now, because looking through Milk Teeth, because it said it came out quite a while ago, and you see a lot of the formations of really what you're doing solidly now, uh, and, and just kind of wondering getting to Milk Teeth, because you, at that point when that came out, from what I understand, you were really involved in the kind of New York comic scene with like the House of Twelve folks and things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, um, I don't think I'd really been doing too much comics before that. I mean, I'd always drawn them, but I'd never published until um, after college I moved to New York City, and this was, so House of Twelve hosts a, uh, comic jam. So you'd go to a bar, you'd draw a panel, you'd pass it to someone else, uh, they'd draw a panel. It was, you know, a comic jam. Uh, and people in the group would run their own anthologies off. So it was just like an easy way to start mm -hmm. uh, with getting into the practice of drawing comics and then doing things for an anthology. So people would have a theme, you'd do something for their theme, and uh, that kind of got my ball rolling. Um, and I contributed to a bunch of those before I went and did uh, Milk Teeth. And always before that, I was doing like just straight up humor stuff because that's what people were doing anthologies of in my group. Yeah. And then Milk Teeth, I guess it has funny parts, but it was kind of my own thing. Yeah. It feels very fleshed out and different than a lot of stuff one might come across in some of those anthologies back then. Um, so tell me about university then. Did you go to art school? Was comics something you had intention of following up on? No, I always had it in the back of my mind I was going to do something with art, but I studied uh, biology and psychology in college. Um, in retrospect, I probably should have gone to art school. Um, I think you can learn a lot, you know, technically that I had to figure out on my own afterwards. But uh, no, I didn't do that. So I just sort of taught myself the drawing stuff afterwards. Um, biology was the first word I have in my little page of notes. Um, yeah, I wish I'd done more of that. I didn't actually get a degree in it just because chemistry was very difficult and I was really, really lazy um, at that time. So I wasn't like willing to put in the work there, but uh, all the classes that I actually enjoyed were all biology classes, like um, mycology where we studied mushrooms and uh, vertebrate anatomy where we got to take apart a lot of different animals and uh, study little skeletons and things like that. Um, I was never great at a lot of the like memorization and math that went into it, but I've always been really interested in the systems and um, how things work together. And I think it's really interesting how you have uh, living organisms that are essentially like a response to a set of 
you know, environmental problems, like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, high water pressure and limited light source. And, you know, what's this thing going to come out looking based on that? Um, and nature offers such a wide variety of solutions to essentially some of the same problems, you know, where am I going to get food? How am I going to reproduce? How am I going to not get eaten? Uh, and that's just always been really interesting to me. Like, yeah, the aesthetic stuff that comes out of that. Um, and in retrospect, I wish I'd gotten deeper into that too. Um, but I did get to explore a lot of that in, uh, in my biology classes. And obviously that was a big influence on the way I was drawing. It seems like the dissecting animals, especially, um, I'm presuming when you were doing that, it had a kind of a profound effect of kind of understanding that inside, outside parts. Yeah, definitely. I wouldn't say the interest developed out of it. I would say I took, you know, those classes because I was interested in it. Um, And I don't want to, I feel like if I talk too much about, you know, taking animals apart, that sounds really ghoulish. I really like animals. I mean, I was a vegetarian for a super long time. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm <laughs> but I think the way that uh, things look on the inside as well as the outside is really, really interesting. Yeah. And we see so much of the outside of things um, that to me, like seeing the inside allows you to see the whole thing, yeah. you know, a second time. Um, and rather than just sort of read the thing as you know the symbol of itself, you know it's it's a person's face, it's a cat, uh, you know, and uh, just sort of pass over it. It allows you to kind of go deeper into it and uh, see the little world that uh, it represents. Well, let's talk a little bit about that, about how, uh, especially in in milk teeth, where you have these. Uh, mythical animals that you kind of pull apart um, and then you do a story based on that animal and how that kind of informs or that creature I should say because none of these are real at least I don't think they are Um, but how that kind of you take from that drawing to create the small story or how does that kind of interconnectedness happen there boy it was some time ago let me think um you know, I was thinking, I guess, about how um, I watched pretty much just cartoons and then nature shows when I was little. And I think when I went, you know, I guess I was about 24 and sat down and said, well, let me make my own comic. I thought back to probably what apparently a lot of people do to the same sort of age. What was a big deal for me when things first started being, you know, a big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those things were... And uh, I was really into, you know, unicorns, unicorns especially, way past when other uh, uh, kids my age were. And then I watched a lot of these nature shows that would have a lot of, you know, um, sort of gross content of, you know, hyenas attacking an elephant and stuff like that. And uh, it just came out of the very simple premise of like, well, what if... You know, these beings were subject to those laws, you know, avoiding predation, having to reproduce, having to, uh, you know, uh, get enough food, and then uh, kind of imagining a scene from that creature's life. So um, 
you know, um, how a phoenix would reproduce itself or, uh, you know, how a mermaid might be preyed on, something like that. Uh, and kind of trying to make it not too precious. Yeah. I really liked the mermaid story, especially. Oh, thanks. Um, really? Yeah. Wow. Well, it was just interesting how you um, made it this giant creature. Um, oh, I did like that. Yeah. Which uh-huh. which was a nice twist. It it wasn't like the the standard you know sexy uh, mermaid trope that people fall into super easy. It was just like this is like this giant thing that they pull up onto a boat and basically just treat it like a human looking whale. Right, right. I mean, yeah. I guess they still had a sexy shape, but you know the the scale kind of takes the sexy out of it. Yeah. Um, yeah, scale is definitely interesting. There's um, so many creatures that are so much bigger than us, um, and so so much smaller. It's fun to think about that. Has mythology always been like a particular interest? Like, are there certain mythology things you're interested in? Um... Definitely, yeah. Um, I read. There's a great book called Delaris. I'm probably saying that wrong because I think it's like Dutch. Um, book of Greek myths that uh, I read hundreds of thousands of times when I was young. Um, I've always been interested in mythology and I couldn't put my finger on why. Um, I know lots of people are. Um, But I will say when I was about 10, um, now probably younger, like eight or nine actually, I started having um, sleep paralysis, which, uh, I don't know, do you know anything about that? That's like when you kind of wake up completely paralyzed and you can see everything around you and there's nothing you can do? Kind of, yeah. I didn't realize there was a word for it or that it was something other people experienced until really recently. But um, so I guess there's a part of your brain that freezes your body when you're sleeping so that you don't flail around uh, like a Muppet and act out your dreams. Uh, And that's the part that goes wrong if you have restless leg syndrome, I think. Um, So in sleep paralysis, that part goes on while you're still partially awake, like in the hypnagogic state where, you know, you're just starting to kind of drift off, but you could still hear it if someone came into the room. Yeah. So um, you're starting to fall asleep and then you get paralyzed and then, you know, you start trying to breathe and trying to move and then you can't. Um, And especially I think if you don't understand what's going on, you know, you start trying harder to breathe and harder to move and you sort of freak out and mm, a lot of people sort of hallucinate at that point, which I would and it really scared me, of course. because I didn't know what was going on or when it was going to happen. Um, and like I said, you can't breathe. So sometimes you'd even like kind of pass out. It was super scary. Um, so that would be going on when I was like eight, nine, 10, 11. And uh, so I started trying to avoid going to sleep. So I'd get in bed. And if I felt like that was going to happen, I would get out. A book and start reading and for some reason I always wanted to read folk tales and mythology and like really dull like bland 50s um, sort of pablum sort of fairy tales yeah 
for some reason, I just found that all really soothing. Um, I didn't want to like read a, a book book or a novel. I just wanted to read something sort of like soft and bland. So I guess that's how I got really immersed in those. And it just kind of stayed with you. I guess so. They've got some really weird and heavy themes in those things. I'm really interested in the ones from all over the world, but there's just something really appealing to me too about the really like, I don't know, I had an anthology or two from like the 50s and 60s that were, when I say anthology, it would be like 10 volumes. Like, <laughs> you know, no, it was like six phone books of, you know, these very rote sort of <laughs> bland fairy tales. And there's something about that I find incredibly like pacifying and calming. Yeah. yeah, very very simple. Um, Was the yeah, and then there's the really like hoary stuff from you know Norse mythology, which I just started reading, or the you know really um, elaborate stuff from Hindu mythology, mm-hmm. um, and those are a lot of fun too. And it seems like you're less focused on what the actual myths are, and more just the kind of like the symbols from the myths and the ideas mm-hmm. that kind of permeate. Yeah. Um, some of the, the themes and the symbols and just like the feeling the symbols give you. Yeah. I, I don't know how to describe that better. Um, since the whole point of a symbol is that it stands for something, you know, an, an idea, um, almost like a piece of language, but I kind of like better the way, uh, it looks and the sort of feeling that gives you. So, so when, like, when you're that. using a symbol in one of your works, um, are you using kind of a transformative way where you're looking at just how it's working that thing enough, not necessarily uh, dependent on another source on the hmm. on the original source. Hmm. I don't know. That's a tough one. <laughs> you mean like, um, am I thinking of an idea and like the context I took it from, or am I just like... totally taking it out of that context and using it for your own purposes uh, in in the visuals that you're creating? Oh, I don't know. It depends if I'm trying to say something. Like I have an idea and I'm trying to put an image to it to express it. Yeah. Or if I'm putting pieces together and sort of trying to follow the pieces and let the drawing lead. Well, like you have um, this one thing in one of the vivisection areas where you do this like process of body part. One is the brain, where it's like brain, wongly brain, and then like Medusa head. Um, oh, yeah. No, the vivisectionary ones always start in like the opposite way from my other comics. Those, um, like, the idea comes first. So I'll uh, start with something that's sort of a problem, and then I'll come up with a couple of different solutions to it. Mm-hmm. And I'll pick the one that looks the best or that I think would work the best. And then I just try different ways of executing it until I find the one that expresses it best. So it's like really like problem solving when I sit down and draw those. So um, like the, uh, I'm trying to think of one that's a good example. Um, Well, like the one that uh, has the, the Medusa. I think I asked something to myself like, 
you know, how would, if you had snakes coming out of your head, you know, how would that work? Well, um, okay, maybe they're extensions of the scalp. Okay, how would that work? No, that's, that's dumb. Um, what if they unfurled from the, the gyri and sulci, you know, those uh, ridges and lumps of your brain? Okay, that could be interesting. How would that start, you know, and then sort of working backwards from there and like reverse engineering the problem? Mm-hmm. And then uh, trying to imagine, okay, well, if this was a fact and it was, you know, something that was conveyed in a textbook, how would that be written out? And then uh, go back and try to, a couple of different ways of illustrating that and then pick the one that seems to work the best. Well, it came out nicely. Well, thank you. Yeah, but if I'm doing like a story, um, then I'll like let the drawings lead, you know, I'll just sort of start drawing something and then uh, follow after it. And so if like a symbol crops up, then it's probably not something where I sat down and said, okay, what's the best way to show that? Or what would, you know, this character do next? It uh, usually just kind of comes and I'm sort of following it and trying to make it a little more coherent. Mm hmm. Uh, as I'm going. I guess that's why vivisectionary is always like, it's a bunch of standalone images that relate on a theme. And there's not, like, they're all narrative within one another, but it's not telling a bigger story. Yeah. Now, um, there's a big gap between Milk Teeth and the other work um, that you sent me, or that I've seen. And mm-hmm. I'm want to kind of talk about like, that like break in doing comics and that kind of yeah let me think yeah let me see um so i did milk teeth and then uh i got busy with work and then i did a bunch of stuff for anthologies um for a while and i think i was you know being a little lazy and not sure of what to do next i did a couple of minis but um Nothing I'm too proud of. There's one called Unicorn Hole, which... <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I uh, kept printing that for a while because a lot of people, you know, would start to pass by my table at a show and then go, what? Unicorn Hole? It's uh, got a picture of a, um, a winged horse, a pegasus, I guess, um, you know cornholing a, uh, a unicorn <laughs> on a rainbow and uh, it's, it's drawn exactly in the same way as uh, Milk Teeth and it's got a couple of the same stories but uh, it's a little more mythological um, so it'll be things like, uh, yeah I guess it was all mythology stuff, like there was um, uh, one that starts with satyrs and nymphs at uh sort of a bacchanal and uh um that ends with they all you know they have this like wild violent orgy and uh they end up killing everybody's dead by the last male <laughs> there's a bunch of you know vultures picking them over her um it was it was like milk teeth but a little more gross um but uh, yeah <laughs> yeah I'm letting that go out of print, but uh, 
I reprinted it a couple of times, but like I said, people would, you know, pick it up at my table and then I'd say, ah, you don't want that. Look at this. This, this yeah. is something that's got a little more substance. And if they did, you know, continue to want to buy Unicorn Hall, I'd kind of feel not so good about it. <laughs> feel a little dirty. Like, I did. Right. Yeah, a little bit. Um, you know, I almost discourage people from buying Milk Teeth uh, at this point because it's just, you know, it's been a while and I'm not as connected to it as uh, the work I've done in the past you know, five years or so. Um, so, yeah. I uh, did Unicorn Hall. I did some stuff for Comixology through House of Twelve. Um, and then then I became a parent. So that, you know, took... Uh, the first couple of years are pretty all-absorbing. Yeah. Um, but actually, no, I take that back, though. That's something that a lot of people will say like, oh, I don't want to, you know, I couldn't take the time away from my other interests. But I would say that actually having, uh, you know, that commitment put the spurs in me to do uh, ICZ, which is the next thing I did, which I think was a lot more serious in terms of like my intent in mm -hmm. doing it. I mean, I do think it was still pretty crude, um, but uh, it was something where I was like really in earnest. There was nothing like tongue in cheek about it the way there was with you know Milk Teeth and my work up to that point. There, it's. I mean, it is way more fleshed out than Milk Teeth, um, and it's. But it's also different than everything you've done afterwards. Yeah, I guess so. Um, but it seems like, I guess, like it's, I don't want to say return to comics, but I mean, it is like you're kind of using as maybe like a stop point where it's like you're kind of working out some things to kind of find what your voice is at that point. Yeah. Um, well, my, so I guess my goal in doing it was um, I had this, you know, tendency to want to do comics where people would you know, pick it up and like it, and um, and I thought about the comics I like reading, and they're always, and, and the music I like listening to, and books and things like that, and it's always the stuff where I would, you know, read it or look at it and not just feel uncomfortable personally, but feel like almost embarrassed for the artist. Um, or the creator, like, ah, that's so, you know, vulnerable, that's so raw, I, I, how could you put that out in the world? Yeah. Um, so I was like, you know, sort of said, well, what can I do that's going to completely break with, you know, sort of approval-seeking um, comics and just to be really, uh, be as raw and as um, vulnerable and as, uh, you know, unpleasant to myself as possible. <laughs> um, <laughs> and something where, you know, I'm going to have trouble standing behind this. Uh, let me make that and stand behind that and, you know, try to put that out in the world and uh, see what happens. Um, so I guess that was the intent behind that effort. And, you know, even though it's you know, pretty crude and it's got a lot of shortcomings. I do think it was successful 
Um, as far as making that break, mm-hmm. because afterwards, even though I didn't do stuff that was, you know, quite like that, it allowed me to not make more stuff that was like, um, you know, uh, anything that was um, twee. I mean, not that Milk Teeth was too cute, but it was a little more cute than I really wanted to be. I guess, like, yeah. uh, a unicorn being breastfed by a mermaid is a, is a little twee. Which <laughs> a little is bit. The, on the cover of Milk Teeth. Yeah, um, I mean, it's a pretty run-down, you know, mermaid, but, um, yeah, I think she looks a little like a meth addict, but still. <laughs> Mom's had a, a, a tough couple of weeks. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, I wanted to get uh, into stuff that was a little more personal and a little more icky and a little more, you know, uh, idiosyncratic and personal to me because, you know, um, ultimately I'm only doing it for me. So yeah. it ought to be something that's, you know, not seeking to, like, I want everyone to like my comics. But uh, it has to be driven by just trying to please myself. One of the things that I've talked with friends about, me and Frank Santoro would talk a bunch about, about how folks need to kind of work their way through their influences to kind of come out the other side. And I feel like this is kind of that book in a way where you're kind of feeding a bit on like Phoebe Gleckner mm-hmm, and stuff for sure. like that. And this is like, you're kind of like, okay, I got to do this and it's done like yeah you don't need to to wait on that you've kind of you exercised it yeah and yeah it, i would agree with that <laughs> that's okay to say <laughs> yeah i would agree with that and i think maybe that's one of the interesting strengths with it is it's a book that i don't think any old creator could get away with doing cuz you do have some 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 tough stuff about sexuality and adolescence um and pre-adolescence yeah Um, definitely i think that character is probably like eight yeah and you know if many creators did a story like that it would it would come off just gross um Uh uh-huh yeah (laughs) I mean, it's pretty gross, but it, it could definitely have been worse. I don't think it hurts, you know, that it's, uh, you know, coming from uh, a woman. Yeah. Um, it's not... It would... Yeah. There's no voyeurism to it. Right. Oh, I, I don't know. It's, oh, well, I, I don't think I'm doing it in a voyeuristic way, but I can't imagine anybody enjoying that book if it wasn't yeah. in a voyeuristic way. <laughs> In the same way that you want to read about, well, you know, in the same way that you want to read about something like horrible and weird going on in someone else's life. Yeah. To me, that's one of the greatest pleasures comics gives. Yeah, actually, is because it's like, uh, it's kind of like reading someone's diary, you know, and you can't, I don't think, veil your personality uh, when you do comics as much as you can if you're doing like paintings or writing a novel or something it's uh, I'm trying to think why that is I mean maybe it's just like the thing everyone points out that you know you're responsible for 
casting the characters and writing the dialogue and setting the pace and doing the backgrounds. You know, it's it's yeah. all coming from you. But uh, I don't know. Something about the way that you've set up the whole scene completely yourself and your hand, like your physical hand is on every page. Yeah. Um, and the more hand-drawn, the more I like it. And the more, I th- like, private it feels. And it does feel like you're, you know looking into someone else's head, which I think is one of the funnest experiences you can have. Do you, when, after you do a book like that, do you kind of look at it and think about, I don't know, necessarily think about, but it kind of seeing your own head in a different way? Hmm. I don't know. That's a good question. Um, I find that, like, after you make something, if you did a good job, you get a great feeling of, oh, where did that come from? Yeah. You know? Um, and the more I feel like, oh, that's me, um, the less interesting and exciting it is. Um, I think the best time is when you feel like, yeah, you can't connect to it and you don't learn too much more about yourself because you're sort of puzzled. Yeah. Like you're able to surprise yourself or something in the work surprises you. Now, Incision, um, I kind of like the fact that it is a lot more abstract than I See's Eye, and it kind of feels like a follow-up to it in a way. Yeah, um, so I'm trying to think. After I See's Eye, I think the next thing I did is Zero. Zero oh, okay. is... Um, I took the Santoro Correspondence course. Um, I was, you can always tell. Like, I was wondering about that. I'm like, well, let's see, your color oh, you scheme tell, you and know. your panels was like Frank yeah. emailing you back. It needs a little more pink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was my first Riso comic. I went straight for the hot pink. Yeah. Um, like you do. Um, so tell so that was. Say what? I I, I want to know about uh, doing the the Frank course and kind of how. That was great. Kind of I recommend work. that to anyone. Yeah. Frank is great. Great content, and it's always just great to you know have someone holding your feet to the fire, you know, expecting you to do more, telling you to go back and redo something. Um, yeah, everyone should do that. Everyone should make a comic that's you know very obviously drawn on this certain sort of grid so we can just make that its own genre the centauro uh, genre <laughs> no no there needs to be like an adjective for it you know santorism or something yeah. uh, that sounds weird um but yeah so <laughs> yeah we're not gonna use that sorry no. frankie <laughs> Come up with something better and trademark it. Um, yeah. yeah, no, that that uh, came next, and he was very much about, you know, you're being way too controlling and um, tight in your drawing, which is definitely true. You know, um, I'm just, I don't keep myself in great drawing shape. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're supposed to, uh, you know, regularly do drawing exercises and I get pretty stiff so when I draw it tends to be um, really stiff and I compensate by making everything really tight to try to you know and putting in some like bullshit textures to kind of compensate Um, and he's very much about like flow you know it needs to flow through the page Um, your drawing needs to be loose 
So uh, after I did Zero Is, um, which was much more like loose and lumpy and uh, the story, you know, really flowed um, visually, I think more than stuff I'd done up to that point. Then I sort of challenged myself to just do something quickly without a lot of forethought, um, which is how I wound up with incision. Um, to trying not to be too careful with the drawing style and to be like messy and lumpy and fast and sort of bang it out. Um, I want to talk about the uh, ideas behind incision of kind of what was informing the story itself. Uh, yeah. Um... I mean, it's pretty obvious to me about C-section but just kind of as like a traumatic event. Oh, wow. I'm so glad you got that. That never crossed my mind. What a great takeaway. Um, <laughs> no, that's awesome. Um, yeah, that's a funny one. And nobody um, buys that very much. Um, and a couple of people actually... I don't know whether they were trying to get refunds on their Etsy orders, but sort of, you know, emailed me back and were like, what, 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 you know, what's, what is this? You know, what's going on? Um, I think at the time, so with Zero Is, I was reading a lot of Christian texts um, okay. and like Christian mysticism and then like, New Thought, the New Thought Movement, um, which is kind of uh, like uh, related to anthrosophy and some sort of esoteric Christian stuff. Um, and then some like straight up, you know, like Catholic mysticism um, texts. And then when I was doing Incision, I had been um, reading some kind of Eastern texts, um, specifically like Hindu uh, mythology and, um, you know, some of the spiritual writings from that part of the world. Um, but mostly it came out of the idea um, of fantasizing about changing your spiritual state um, and your emotional state by manipulating your physical state. Which I guess now that I say that is like the whole premise of yoga. Um, I mean, I know it's like a stretching exercise thing here, but I think originally it was um, uh, practiced as a way of like along with, you know, those breathing patterns that get unbelievably elaborate. And I think yoga, you know, yeah. in the East gets unbelievably, you know, elaborate and uh, um aesthetic you know uh, uh, and along with like fasting and all these you know very involved disciplines was supposed to be this way that you could yeah like manipulate your spiritual core almost in the way that you can you know change your digestive patterns um, by uh, changing your physical practices and so it's just a bunch of different fantasies sort of around that idea um, and then I guess some of the changes being wrought become like less and less benevolent um, as I was drawing. Um, 
and more and more um, like hard to understand what's happening uh, as this uh, the subject is being like manipulated by these outside forces. Is that kind of a bit of the idea of like quite often C-sections are done um, not necessarily with the mother's intent but more as a medical intervention yeah i don't know i didn't have a c-section but i do know that that's um the you know the understanding around it is uh you know you want to avoid getting one of these if at all possible yeah. although that's not everyone's attitude some people are like you know Got it can out. i please have a c-section instead yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the third of three c-sections oh really and wow yeah, I was, uh, it had to be a C-section. I don't think my brother's had to be, but I had to be. Huh, why did you have to be out of curiosity? I have no idea. Huh. Yeah, I guess that's not something you ask your mom when you're home for the holidays. I'm, I'm the... Hey, mom, how'd they have, why'd they have to cut you open? They don't even remember if I had chicken pox. <laughs> really? <laughs> Isn't there supposed to be a baby book with all that stuff in it? No, 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 no. <laughs> Not not with West Coast hippies. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. They wouldn't have wanted a C-section for sure. There's definitely, like, um, this whole uh, culture of, like, uh, there's sort of a machismo around, like, you know, natural birthing. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you sound like you have strong opinions on it, but you don't want to get into it. I don't think anyone wants to hear that. If you have a feel, if you have a feeling, you know, of an opinion one way or the other, then it's one of those things I'm sure you have a very strong opinion of, and you don't want to hear mine. And if you don't have an opinion, it's because you're totally not interested in that shit. In which case, you don't want to hear me talk about it. So. I'm going to let that Well, folks, if you see Kate at a comic convention and are very interested, I'm sure she'll be able to answer a handful of questions. <laughs> now, um, the the comic itself, um, was there a lot of just kind of improv ideas or did you have a really structured thing you wanted to work oh, on doing it? No, heavens no. This was... Um very much like just an exercise in um i'm gonna just draw without uh you know too much forethought i uh, looked to my sketchbook and found some images that sort of seemed to ring some sort of um you know ping something for me um to strike some sort of chord and then um let me either work backwards from that or work forwards from that or i would um flip through texts like you know alchemical texts or you know um uh you know the vedanta or something like that and uh sort of stop when there was an image that struck me um like the original title for the book was the wheel of poison um which, um, see, I don't want to explain too much, but <laughs> I'll talk about the three animals that are in that book. There's uh, the hog, the snake, and uh, the rooster, and they represent the uh, spiritual poisons um, 
And I think that they're like greed, anger, and spite or uh, attachment. Um, uh, so like, you know, working from that idea, I would be like, well, how would those be uh, present in or interacting with, you know, the body? Uh, how would, you know, that be manifesting if it was something that, you know, almost like a tumor uh, was present in you? Um, and how could that be either uh, exacerbated and made worse or, you know, negated and, and made better? Um, but I wouldn't plan it out too much. I'd just sort of start drawing. Like if I was working with the snake, I'd just start drawing some snakes and then whichever idea on paper seemed right, I would just sort of do a few pages uh, based on that, try not to give it too much thought and and move forward in the story, mm-hmm. which is why it's so choppy and um, incoherent. <laughs> and lots of people say, "What the fuck is going on here?" But I have to, you know, choose to see that as a strength <laughs> because it's at least allowed me to break with this very, you know, planned. Um, and uh, uptight way of doing things and hopefully uh, by you know sort of just blundering around uh, access something that's a little more intuitive and a little more fluid and I really don't mind having it be you know there be a permanent record of me sort of stumbling around yeah um, visually and narratively doing that you know because I would like to see someone else doing that and I would t- totally read um, a comic book that was, you know, very blundering and sincere. Uh, I think I have. I think I enjoyed them. And also, I just want to make the choppy book called Incision Pun. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Say, so wait, what? Oh, uh, I said a choppy chop. book called God, Incision. That took me a minute. <laughs> that took me a minute. <laughs> it was not funny. Uh, and, and I'm sorry, listeners. That was uh, that was kind of criminal. Now, the disciple uh, that you have running on study group. Uh, when did you start working on that? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I guess it would be about a year ago, almost. Um, so I post a page from the disciple each um, week. Well, once a week for three weeks, and then on the fourth week, I post a new image from Vivisectionary. So I'm doing a comic a week, but um, they each uh, disciple gets three weeks out of me, and then Vivisectionary gets one. Um, I've been doing that one for about a year. Um, and that's the same sort of principle as incision, but even sort of more so. Um, So, uh, yeah, zero is, and a few paintings I've done too felt, uh, I don't want to say inspired, but it felt like um, there was something that I needed to express and I was sort of being led through it. And while I won't say that I did a fantastic job of conveying the message that I was given, it did feel like, you know, there was um, an idea that I was given to express and I could uh, 
work with just sort of articulating that and uh, building around it. And Disciple came about because I just wasn't finding that. Um, and uh, so it's just, I just sit down with it each week and draw whatever happens next. Um, and I don't know what's going to happen next week by week or uh, what it's supposed to look like or what's supposed to happen to this character. So it took a long time, um, months to sort of find its feet in terms of how it looked um, and kind of the mood of it. Um, but I'm just trying to sit down each time and put something to paper um, and not give it too much forethought. So it's, and it actually sort of makes sense um, because the comic is about, if it's about anything, this uh, character who has, you know, these strong um, spiritual uh, ambitions. Like, you know, he's trying to penetrate the, uh, the inner mystery, but doesn't have a blueprint for doing that. Mm-hmm. And is sort of going through these, like, uh, unpleasant and sort of humiliating uh, spiritual practices at the hand of, uh, you know, these outside uh, forces and beings that he doesn't understand and that like, keep challenging his willingness to go forward. Uh, and that's kind of a, you know, pretty obvious metaphor for how I'm going about this That you know, I don't feel like I've been given the instructions that I want in terms of like what to do with this story or whether this story is going to be, you know, lead up to something and take shape or if this is just this long, tedious, like process I have to go through to clear the way for the next good thing I'm going to do. Um, but, uh, yeah, each, each week I just sit down and do the next piece, uh, sort of with this willingness, like, well, I'm going to start speaking and, you know, um, sort of appealing to the upper management. Like, I'm just going to sort of speak and hopefully you'll start speaking through me pretty soon. (laughs) Um, and I'm just going to keep the, the wheels turning and uh, trust that this is going to make sense. Um, So, yeah, at this point, um, he has uh, um, decapitated himself and castrated himself and uh, and skinned himself, uh, and he's... uh, uh, It's not exactly a human being either. It's this kind of... uh, Gollum like uh, meat man um, and uh, the uh, dismembered parts of his body have now taken on their own sentient form and are passing through this uh, um, sort of portal of this uh, uh, higher being that's actually not you know a, a god or even a demigod it's like a I don't know, sort of a lower clerk, like, yeah. of uh, the uh, the hierarchy there. Uh, so they're they they're passing through, and I don't know what's on the other side there, but I guess I've got a week to figure it out. 
<laughs> and it's going to bother me because I have this feeling that at some point, you know, if I do um, start getting the answers that I'm looking for by doing this, they're going to come retroactive. So it's going to be like, no, no, wait, 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 wait. He wasn't supposed to cut his head off. <laughs> he was supposed to, uh, you know, do this, do this other thing. He was supposed to, you know, heal this uh, or seek someone else out. And, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's already been put out there. It's not like a novel where I can go back and rewrite it. So um, that'll be interesting uh, to work in if that, if that day comes. I love how the color works through it when you scroll on it. Huh. And see things come through because um, it starts really muted and by the end it's just bright yellow and purple um, thank you I was um, that's funny I was experimenting you know with different ways of uh, doing it you can see sometimes the lines are dark sometimes they're light I was trying using pencil I was trying using pen um, I finally settled on a combination of like double xeroxing and markers that uh, seems to be working for the time being but uh, and I have no idea how to color anything digitally um, besides using like the paint bucket tool <laughs> which is no I, I have very little use of computers um, uh, so yeah my skill levels pretty much stops at like you know, tweaking the levels to brighten or darken something up. So um, my labor-saving thing was to switch, you know, from watercolors to uh, Prismacolor magic markers. But maybe now that they're moving to a new level, I can switch up my color uh, technique without jarring the story too much uh, and find something that's a little simpler. But that's funny you liked that. It was definitely um, kind of groping around in the dark for yeah. just the most convenient technique. Well, it kind of it, it's something, especially when you're doing the whole scroll thing, that works really mm -hmm. well. Um, huh. Yeah, I don't know. I like it. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about mysticism. You talked before about it, and I'm really interested in artists that you've liked that do a lot of this really symbolic work. Um, because it's a lot of your just singular drawings are really feeding off of this, and, and I'm really curious where this is going and where it's coming from. Uh, like in terms of visual artists who seem to have spiritual elements in their artwork? Uh, and just like kind of classical, uh, mystical, or mysticism-based artists, like... I'm not very knowledgeable on it. All, all I can say right now is like Austin Osmond Spar, like something like that. Like, oh, who's that? I bet I know who that is. Kind of a say late nineteenth, early twentieth century British kind of Crowley contemporary. Oh, I think that sort of rings a bell. Um, but kind of not as um. Not as off-putting as Crowley. Yeah, yeah, he's pretty off-putting. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's too bad because that's kind of like the touchstone for everyone. Oh, Alistair Crowley, but I know that's not Yeah, no, that. no, totally. That's what you, you know, say um, if you want someone to know what you're talking about. <laughs> no, that makes total sense. Um, 
Yeah, boy, I'm trying to think. Um, I my favorite thing to look at that gives me um, that sort of feeling is. Um, this may have a lot to do with the color palette, but um, those sort of um, muted, almost like greenishy, yellowy, um, like 50s-ish um, Christian illustrations, um, just like biblical stuff. Now, I like a lot of the really dynamic ones of the Old Testament, too. That has a lot of very hoary and penetrable stuff in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really like a lot of the, um, I have a great book called God's in Print, which is um, uh, like these popular prints in India of, you know, gods and goddesses that are sort of posed in this like diorama-like way with the idea that, um, you know, you would take it to your house and have it up as a, um, an actual, you know, article to aid you in your worship. It's not like a, an illustration in book, you know, it's, um, like to be used, you know, as part of your, uh, practice. So there, there would often be a lot of stuff happening in these, you know, someone's trampling a demon's corpse or it's, you know, two, um, lovers, you know, who are gods, um, who are sort of dancing while copulating or something. But, it it's also seems very you know reposed. Um, nothing seems to be moving um, in them. There's something really cool about those. I really really like. Um, there's something really appealing to me about uh, a sort of diorama or a little like contained still world. Um, not just in religious illustration, but just in general. And that's something I like about comics, which is probably why mine seem very like static panel to panel. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like that a lot about those. Um, but you know, in comics, there's a couple of people doing um, work that seems to have a pretty um, out there, like mystical content. Um, I mean, Ron Rigi's pretty like, yeah. you know, straight up about it. You know, <laughs> it, it's all right there. I saw his um, book collection. Say what? I saw his book collection. Yeah. Um, I read a cartoon utopia and I think he listed his entire book collection in there. Yeah. Um, but uh, obviously I really like Jim Woodring there's so much going on there and he's got uh, this um, pervading mood that I like which is that um, what it's all uh, somehow benevolent but that it's not necessarily personal um, and not at all um, you know painless yeah uh, you know, there's a lot of bad things that uh, happen in his universe, um, but somehow it's all okay. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I'm expressing that well, but it's that. And weird I like. Kind go of, ahead. It's that weird kind of trickster component to his work. 
Yeah, um, there's a sense that uh, there are these outside forces that don't really involve you, um, but that affect you, and that uh, are kind of playful and kind of indifferent and, uh, you know, kind of benevolent too. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. There's something very appealing about that world, and I also like to how... um, even though it all seems to make sense on its own terms, there's a lot that, you know, obviously you aren't meant to understand, that the characters don't um, seem to understand, and that, you know, maybe even the curator doesn't really, uh, isn't trying to make something that he understands. Um, Like, you know, when he'll bring in an image, I don't always get the idea that he's saying, well, this is going to represent, you know, the principle of balance um, or the, uh, you know, the idea of uh, comeuppance uh, or karma or something like that. Um, sometimes you get the feeling that he's just sort of bringing something in yeah. and yeah. Uh, in a sort of intuitive way. Um, you know, and if you steep yourself in something long enough, then you can use those things without a lot of forethought and planning probably. Um, yeah, and in a way that makes sense. Now, you live in, in New Orleans, and I probably pronounce it terribly, like a Canadian would. Uh, yeah, that sounds right. And, and I'm wondering, because, I mean, it is, in itself, is this, like, weird religious cultural melting pot where just different things come out, like Creole cultures, um, and kind of if that's had an effect in your work. Um, well, it's a pretty straight-up Catholic town, um, although uh, people, some people here practice like Catholicism in the way that I'm originally from New York, and a lot of people, you know, I know who are Jewish, like would kind of practice Judaism, where like they wouldn't, you know, necessarily say they believed in it, but they would keep kosher anyhow. Yeah. Um, so. There are a lot of people I know who don't, you know, necessarily live what I would call a, a godly life, or at least, you know, um, adhere to a lot of the rules. But during Lent, you know, people eat fish instead of meat, um, you know, and uh, play by some of those rules too. Um, there's just a lot of that imagery present um, here, and it's it's very like widely practiced. Um, yeah, it's just a very like an active part of daily life in a way that uh, I'm not used to religion being in any other place that I'm yeah. from. No. I I understand that coming from a very, very non-religious part of Canada, which already isn't very religious, but the West Coast is even less so. So even like the American idea huh. of religion is odd to me. Is the west coast of Canada like the west coast of California, where uh, the west coast of the United States, where it's like California and kind of a more, I don't know, uh, like liberal hippie vibe? I'm just saying, is this total crazy talk? I know nothing about Canada, really. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's, and it may just be my own particular circles growing up, uh, not really being around religion at all, not really being a part of my world at all and say with most of my peer circles like the folks I do know um 
that have religion as part of their life, it, it's also part of like uh, much more of a cultural aspect um, mm. of like a familial thing that brought with them. Mm-hmm. Um, where kind of with the waspy folks that I come from, they kind of shed <laughs> all of that. Um, it's complex. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's not as hippy dippy as one would think. There's a lot of really conservative parts to the West Coast outside of Vancouver. So, um, on that note, I feel like we've come to a good conclusion with the interview, even though I ended mm-hmm. it by talking about myself. Um, thank you, Kate, for taking the time to join me today. Uh, reminder, thank you so much, Robin. A reminder, this folks. This has been a pleasure. <laughs> it, it has been, and it's been a, a, a while coming. Um, you can find Kate's work on the study group website, include the Disciple and Vivisectionary, as well as, as we mentioned, Incision, Milk Teeth, uh, Zero Is, um, with, and I sees I, which some of those I think you can find on your website, and some have just been lost to the sands of time. Only those that needed to be. <laughs> uh, yeah, thank you again. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. Uh, and one request uh, is to send me your two song requests. Oh, okay. Yeah. Will do. No, that was Thanks really so good. Thanks so much. Yeah, this is really fun. I'm glad we were able to do this. I I wanted to do it before your your next trial because I know that time will be not as easy to pull aside. So I wanted to. <laughs> well, time without like squalling in the background. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. <laughs>
Let's go.